Forbes Books presents The Sky's the Limit with host Dee Brown, the president and CEO of the P3 Group, the nation's largest minority, public, private, partnership real estate developer. Here's Dee. Welcome back to the conclusion of my conversation with the legendary music mogul, entrepreneur, and philanthropist, Percy Miller, a.k.a. Master P. Percy, in part one, we talked about some of the businesses you've been involved with. And I remember reading that you said you wanted to show the world that you can compete in the food and beverage space. What has been your biggest challenge and what have you done that has allowed you to be so successful? Yeah, well, in that food and beverage space, a lot of these major companies, they say they want diversity and everything that's been going on. They, they say, well, we're going to give African-Americans and Latinos opportunity to put their product on shelves. Now, the thing is, throughout these uncertain times, they have opened their doors and say, let's put a couple African-Americans, Latino products in there. But they only put it in there as test orders. They didn't invest in it. And so I changed that to I started challenging these companies, saying, if you're going to put our product in these stores, then give us an opportunity to win. Not just put African-American products in there to say that you have them in there in your diversity department. No, put them in there to actually sell. And I just started challenging these major companies. The greatest thing, a lot of them that really meant it, like the HEB, HEB in Texas put our products in all their stores and made sure we had end caps and shelving space. And that's what makes the difference. Uh, Rousty's did the same thing, put our products in all their stores in Louisiana and made sure that we had end cap space tools to market the product so when customers come into the stores and we was able to do that not only for our brands but for hundreds of other brands and showing people that look like us this is what you need to ask for and i think now they're seeing the buying power that we are bringing customers into the stores to buy our product that's what i mean by the african-american dollar we actually spend more money than any culture and this is changing the way these major grocery stores and supermarkets are looking at our brands and, and, and products now. So it's, it's just a blessing to be able to use your verse to be able to, to, to do that, not only for me, but for other minority owned companies. So and we, we're going to keep growing and we're going to keep challenging these big companies. Uh, just got the Master Crunch, the Uncle P cereals into Walmart, which would be in there in August and then Kroger's took the Uncle P fish fry into Kroger's. So these doors are opening up to where we able to build economic empowerment. Right, right. Now you and your son Romeo recently opened a grocery store in New Orleans to provide fresh food and produce to an underserved community. This store really touched me because in my business, we develop projects for the government and our primary focus is delivering our financial capabilities and, and technical skills to underserved communities and institutions. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this venture and what motivated you guys to make this critical investment in a community that had been overlooked, obviously, for so long. Yeah, well, we've been working in Gus Home. It has over 2,500 elderly seniors that rent from that facility, and they have nowhere to, to get their food. I mean, some most of them are handicapped. And I've been in that community for over 21 years, giving back me and my son, Romeo, like, that's my business partner, and, and we, we like, our motto is the more we make, the more we give, but we 
even though we do a lot of stuff for the younger people, for Team Hope, the kids in the community, but we focus on the elderly because we feel like these are the people that paid the way for us in that community. I was raised in that community, and I know a lot of these elderly people. I know what they're going through. I know the love they have for me, and they know the love I, I have for them, that we just promised that we was going to do our part, and we've been working on the store for, for some years now. But to be able to actually put a small supermarket in there for them is is incredible. And now we're looking at six other elderly homes around New Orleans, and hopefully we'll be able to spread around the U.S. Uh, we've been talking to elderly homes in Dallas and New York, so we are definitely growing. But th that's the first P. Miller grocery store that we was able to put in our community. And, and I tell people all the time, if you make it out, don't forget where you come from and definitely don't forget about the elderly because they're the right. ones who paid the way for us. Uh, a lot of those people in there, they put straightening on me when I was going the wrong way. It's like, man, look, you're going to be something. Get in that gym and play basketball. And, and I just love them, man. I, whatever I could do to put a smile on their face and to feed them and protect them and, and make sure they're in a great environment. And that's, that's what it's about. We've been there for 21 years giving back and, and we, we're constantly growing and, and uh, that's what it's about. I mean, our yeah. business is the more we make, the more we give. So we, we're trying to do our part. And I, and I love that my son is doing this with me because this is two generations of giving. Right, right. No, it's a, it's a great story and it's absolutely beautiful uh, when you can have your, your son or your children working within the business. My oldest son, he actually uh, worked for my firm as well as our nonprofit foundation. So I definitely um, understand that. One of the things that uh, I've read about is that you want to own your own HBCU. So I find it pretty uh, intriguing because helping HBCUs and students that attend these institutions has been one of my core business and philanthropic missions over the last 30 years. And as you know, Historically, Black colleges and universities have filled the educational gap for communities of color since before the Civil War. What is your inspiration behind wanting to own your own HBCU? And do you see this as being something that's going to be attainable in the near future? Yeah, there's no limit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my son is going. He's one of the top basketball players in the country. They just won the state championship. They ended up fifth in the country in high school basketball. My son, Hersey Miller, he's yeah. going to Tennessee State University which he turned down USC, UCLA, Vanderbilt, LSU, some major schools. And when I went to visit HBCUs, even growing up as a kid, it was a lot of things I see that need to be fixed, but we have some of the best talent, some of the strongest minded people that go off and create opportunity, jobs, business, careers, uh, because we struggle so hard. When you, when you go to yeah. HBCU, you got to work 20 times as hard as somebody that goes to a major university. You got to fight for everything, even in sports. Um, and I said to myself, when are we going to fix the problem? When, when are we going to make sure these facilities are up to date? Even watching the NBA. And that's what, you know, my son decided to go there after watching the NBA and yeah. went to visit. He went and visit all these nice schools. But when you look at the HBCUs, they don't invest in the dormitories. They don't invest in the arenas. So if you make it out of there, you have a real chip on your shoulder. And I'm saying, 
how could we give our kids a, a, a fair start like everybody else? Imagine if we had top facility arenas to be able to put money back into our schools and fix our schools. And I, and I said to myself, I need to get a facility like that one day and make it look just like going to University of Kentucky or Vanderbilt, any one of these top schools. How could we make HBCU look like that? And so that's that's my goal. My, my next step is to start an online HBCU and then turn it into an actual university and model it with the top of the line everything to make sure our kids, when they go there, they feel just as good as going to a major university. And that, that's just investing into the campus. And I right. think investing right. into the right facilities, making sure that, that we have all the learning utilities that everybody else has. I think that's the start. Man, it's, it's amazing how much uh, from a social responsibility and corporate philosophy perspective we have in common. Uh, one of the big pushes we're making within our organization is we're going into HBCUs and we're actually building and financing and taking the risk on these uh, upgraded student housing facilities. My daughter ironically graduated from Tennessee State University in Nashville as well. So yeah. I'm very familiar with that campus. But we're doing this with HBCUs, minority uh, serving institutions all over the country, as well as in the Caribbean islands. And yes. so we recognize that HBCUs have been overlooked uh, in a lot yes. of instances. They've been exploited uh, for resources. And yes. so we think that the program that we're, we're implementing will help bridge some of those financial gaps and some of those disparities within the HBCU community. And of course, we can't do it alone. So, yes. you know, people uh, like yourself and other socially conscious individuals stepping up to the plate, doing their part to make um, the HBCUs a better community uh, is what we're all about. Uh, we're sponsoring uh, here recently. We just signed a, a deal to sponsor the Orange Blossom Classic over in uh, Miami-Dade County, Florida. Uh, yes. Between FAMU yeah, congrats and on that. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so we're going to do a lot of scholarships, a lot of internships, things that we, we feel like go to the fabric of what is needed within these HBCU communities to help them thrive and be successful and have an equal seat at the, at the table. So why do you, I want to ask you a question. Why do you think the media don't promote that? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I, and I've been very, you know, disheartened uh, by that very point. And, you know, they you promote know, everybody that go to jail, everybody get in trouble. How come they don't promote that? There's the stuff that you guys are doing and it, it really is heartening because, you know, we, we come so far, but we promote all the negative stuff. And that's my saying is giving our kids a balance. Like, right. so they can see, we know that they're not going to turn the switch off of what they think they want that we want or they want us to see. But I'm saying, right. what about giving the kids, giving the families that want more something better? Something and, better. Yeah, and, and why not bring attention and awareness to that? You know, and we, we're fighting hard. And I think that companies like mine that have the financial capabilities, uh, yours. We just have to stay in there and fight the good fight. One, one of yeah. the things we're doing, just to the very point you're making, we're hosting a team dinner that Thursday night before the game with both DSU and FAMU. 
And so we're bringing in a bunch of friends like Emmett Smith and mm-hmm. uh, Omarosa and other lawyers and professionals, African-American professionals in law, business, former athletes turned business professionals. And what we're trying to do is exactly what you're saying. We're trying to show them that odds are you're not going to be a professional athlete. Odds yeah. are you're going to have have a career, right? And here are some yeah. African Americans that are doing well, including you know one that was a you know NFL Hall of Famer, but yeah. realized he had to pivot to business, right, to continue to be successful. And we're trying to expose them to these uh, individuals and in, in this environment so that they can see something different. So than what this what I this what I this what I want you to see what you just said. But think about how all these other cultures and major companies are linking up for the better. Why do we have to prove something to our culture, the people that, that are successful? Well, that's why I say the education part is so important because once yeah. these guys get successful, they detach from reality. So they can't even see. I mean, they. I know guys that are vesting their money into penny stocks because they just don't know. And I'm right. like, you have made all this money. Why is you investing in the penny stocks? But right. that's all it was taught. My thing is, why I love about the future and I'm investing into the next generation because we could grab them before they make it. So that's my thing that if we're going to change this narrative, we have to invest in the future because the older people, they already, they have the mindset. They got the old frame of thinking. And that's why corporate America is losing. They got too many old heads sitting in these corporate chairman spots dictating what's going to happen, but they don't know they lose it because the generation is changing and they're not making the money they used to make because they stuck in their old ways. And that's why I know that we have to invest in the youth to grow and we have to prepare them for success. The ones that are, that are successful, they think they, well, I'm successful. I don't need to do that. But what, what about your kids? What about making right. a better, a better way for them? And that's what we're looking at. And, and that's what this mission I'm on. It's not about what we have. All this stuff is temporary. We can't take this with us. In business, life go up and down. But I'm saying that we can make a difference and do something now and do something that's right that we can leave an imprint on this earth. And that's the difference. That's the Muhammad Ali's. And that's why we remember those people. That's why we we are championing them and we celebrate them. And I I just think what we need to focus on now, even the, the banking system, if you want more people to put money in your banks, we have to educate the youth on financial literacy, knowing that right. how to save money, not just how to spend money and how to make money. Right. That's right. You you don't it doesn't require any degree of intellectual capacity yes. to spend money, right? So that's <laughs> yes. that's the that's the part that comes easy. And that's the part we have to continue to train our employees, our kids, our family yeah. members on building economic empowerment, economic yes. uh, wealth within our communities by understanding that it's, it's more important to learn how to save and invest than yes. it is to spend money. Yeah, yeah. I agree with you 100%. Now, we mentioned a lot of your different ventures, but we I think we haven't touched on PM Properties and MP yep. Realty, which are two of your real estate uh, businesses. And of course, I'm in the real estate development game, so I'm, I'm yeah. interested to learn about uh, what are you doing on the real estate front? I'm constantly building with my family. We are buying properties, redeveloping properties, and uh, we're just growing. I just think 
that's the most important thing. Once you learn the real estate business and you understand the whole wealth game, they've been doing it forever. And right. so being able to find properties, fix it up, get into creating bigger developments. So I just tell anybody that's listening, start small. That's what I did. Start small and build. Don't just jump into, oh, I want to buy these multi-million dollar properties. Now, for decades, you've been a pop culture icon, so much so that you were featured on Solange's 2016 album, A Seat at the Table. She has said that your influence was golden, and you've said you just wanted to see her win. Talk to me about your mindset as a mentor when it comes to helping others succeed. My thing is to instill into us that we are kings and queens, and we got to come here with that mindset of we are royalty. And I use that in my business, and I, I instill that into everybody around me that don't be afraid to do what's right. Don't be afraid to grow. Don't be afraid to be great. And I think on, on the mentorship side is I tell people all the time, you have to know what you love, be passionate about it. Don't do nothing for money. That's where you mess up at because everybody say, I meet people all the time. Yeah, I'm going to make millions of dollars. I'm going to sell millions of records. I'm saying, what about just get in and grow and grow at your pace? Every day is about getting better. Like this, like I said, I do in business in life. I don't have to set that I need to make this amount. I, all the only thing I set when I get up, I write down my goals and my dreams. I post it on the wall and I always say, how can every day I could do something to get closer to that? Even if it's something small. Right. And I think that's what we have to do. We have to not be afraid to feel. And I know a lot, man, what you mean, feel? I'm just being honest with you. Uh, you might see me at the top, but you don't know how many times that I feel that something I had to figure something else out. I had right. to figure out how to get better. Even in sports, when I played basketball, even in music, I wasn't the best. I had to get in the studio and work 10 times as hard as anybody else. Uh, same thing in sports. Some people just naturally gifted. I had to get out there and actually put up a thousand shots a day to be able to shoot the way that I could shoot. So the same thing in business. You got to put the time in when, when everybody else partying and playing, you making sacrifices. Now, I, I don't want to go to the club today. I'm going to chill. I'm going to work on my business. I'm going to invest in me. I think you are your best investment. And I think that's what people get caught up with, trying right. to be something they not. I tell my kids, you don't have to be me. You just need to be the best you. And I think that's what I was able to give Solange on her project. You don't have to be Beyonce. You need to be the best Solange you could be. Right. Very solid advice. And you know, your evolution has been remarkable. And yes. so we see you have so many different businesses and initiatives. But how about music? You know, I have to admit, and I think I told you this uh, before we started the podcast. Yeah. You know, I'm a diehard No Limit Records fan. I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, that was music, right? And yes. so does music still play a major part of your business portfolio and future business? Yes. On the music side, you can't be afraid to grow. I realize that I'm not the same person that I used to be. And that's good. Even my fans are growing with me. Think about it. Yes. It's like you said, you running business, you're doing things. We, we are growing together. Right. And I love to see that when I see people say, P. Man, we was body body and look, man, I got this company now and my kids run this. And I'm like, wow, we come a long way. We done grew together. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And it's like 
being able to use your resources and a lot of my resources used to be my fans and now they presidents yep. of banks and have all these different investment firms and companies i mean to see that growth is incredible one of the guys just out of nowhere this guy was the president of the bank and he had a tru tattoo he he showed man look i'm a corporate man now but i had a yeah. tru tattoo and i'm like <laughs> i'm like wow uh, but but guess what we are not afraid to evolve and get better and i right. think that's what life is about and music actually take you on that journey and yeah. don't be afraid to grow and I didn't think a lot of the things I would be able to do in music that, that I was able to do. And now I think about a lot of the stuff that I'm doing. I can't talk about the stuff that I used to do because I'm not living like that. Now I'm, I'm, I'm living a whole different life and I could use my music to even balance out as uh, therapy for me to be able to help my fans and the people around me and even myself. So I'm just blessed to be able to still be relevant still be able to go out and do a reunion tour with me and Snoop, Mystico and Mia Eggs and Silk the Shaga. Like, it's a blessing, man. It's a blessing. Right. Well, I want to kind of wrap up the interview by just touching on news that was uh, we heard early in the year. And I know you may not be able to talk about the deal specifically, but I know that you were very interested in buying Reebok. And that yeah. particular deal uh, intrigued me as well. And so if you can't go into any detail about the particulars of that deal, but just in the context of the deal, uh, what are some of your goals as it relates to future business acquisitions and ventures? Well, that deal has taught me so much that, that we able to do this and they've been doing this for years. I'm still got a seat at the table right now. So hopefully yeah. we could run this home, but what I'd never imagined and what I learned is I say we learning every day, how now, with who I am. I could go to banks and I could buy multi-billion dollar companies with debt. I never imagined that. And I want to be able to give that game to our culture as yeah. I go through this process. It's incredible, man. And and those secrets, they've been doing this for years. We just been right. thinking these other cultures have so much money, but they they understand the knowledge and the education and the wisdom part that we just have no clue. So to be able to buy a company on its debt and go get it financed through a banking system, man. It's amazing. I think we, we both have come a long ways when I, yes. I look at you know, where you come from and me coming yes. from the rural city uh, Delta community where we weren't exposed to the type of uh, opportunities that we have now for me to, you know, actually own fire stations and police stations and courthouses yeah. and those sorts of facilities. When I never imagined as a kid growing up that these type of assets could be under private ownership or private development. Right. And uh, uh, being able to go to the capital markets and create municipal bonds and issue municipal debt. Uh, and have unlimited capacity. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing that uh, you know we've embarked upon. We have to keep studying and educating ourselves. I'm going to tell you the, the, one of the most valuable tools that I got a chance to witness and see was Reginald Lewis. What he done in the 1960s and 70s and yeah. being probably one of the first billionaires that, that I 
notice. And what he was able to do with that grocery store system, man, it's incredible. And his book, Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? I mean, I start looking at that and I start realizing what he meant. Like, why should they only be billionaires? Why? How come we can't get in that club? But it's right. going to take hard work. We'll be able to feed more families. We'll be able to take care of more communities. And But we don't think that we could attain that type of wealth. And like you say, we have to do more networking with us. And we have to put more trust and faith in us. And, and, and we have to create dream teams like they are creating. Right. You know, that's I could not have said it better. Those of us who have the intellect, the financial capacity, we have to find ways for us to work together to be able to further this overall yeah. mission that we have in, in terms of having greater access for people of color, greater educational and entrepreneurship type opportunities. So there's just so much we, we can do. We're stronger together. And yep. I think that you've been a, a very, very good example of what that type of leadership and that type of mentality can do uh, within uh, an African-American owned organization. So I, I appreciate everything that you've done from the music that brought me through the 90s and made me feel good, right, to yeah. uh, watching you make that transition to corporate America and, and yeah. really play at the highest level, always having a seat at the table. I tell people all the time, if, if, if they don't have a seat for you, bring one with you. Right. So, yes. <laughs> man, it's, it's been it's been a great honor and pleasure to have you on uh, my podcast. I, I look forward to us maybe perhaps connecting at some point, you know, outside yes, of this, just continue to further the dialogue. I think we have a lot in common and uh, so much we can do to help our community together. Thank you, my brother. And that's it for this episode of The Sky's the Limit. If you enjoy the show, make sure you take a second to subscribe so that you automatically get my new shows when they drop. Also, if you have a minute, I would love if you leave us a review so more folks like yourself can discover the show. I'll see you next time. This has been The Sky's the Limit with Dee Brown. To find out more about Dee, go to dbrownceo.com. And to connect with the P3 Group, check out the p 3 groupincom The Sky's the Limit is a production of Forbes Books.